Preis vor. How to talk to crazy people. A funny, moving, and altogether brilliant book on the challenges and peculiar insights of mental illness. Rate sein simply der Schrebinger clinical condition, Donner Kakonge pa instaking liavokes the complex language and thought patterns of what she liberately calls craziness. The result is a book that will engage not only readers who have encountered in personal terms the challenges of mental illness, but also readers who wish to appreciate in the broadest of ways what is troubling and also beautiful about the human imagination itself. David Chariandi, USA of Suchuyant, Governor General is a world finalist. Arare and honest account of mania. Depression and Psychosis the book to read if you want to understand the suffering of mentally ill persons and the courage that one woman can muster. Donna struggles financially, socially, sexually, and spiritually to find peace from the minions of hell that inhabit her mindestens. Catherine Tapla Milton, USA of Mindful of Scorpions. A poignant account of what it is like to live with a severe psychiatric illness. We see it vividly from the inside and truly sense how terrifying it can be to be psychotic. It is also a story of hope and optimism about what someone can achieve despite the continual setbacks, so also much longer time to accomplish the things that others do with a lotless effort, the inevitable loss of friends, money and often family. This should be read by all those who work in mental health and all those who don't. It will give you a glimpse note of how scary it is to talk to a crazy person but how scared a crazy person is to talk to you. Anna Skotsevska, Psychiatrist, University Health Network. To mom. For being the best artist in know, and the most beautiful person in know, inside and out. Do that. For growing into such a fantastic father, man and Nike Boer, and thank you for helping me to grow up too. Crazy talk? It is my last year of high school at Stephen Leacock Collegiate in Scarborough, Ontario. My friend Chino and I sit on a bus on our way to downtown Toronto. A man boards the bus and immediately screams at the passengers standing in the bus Isla who hittings liberately block his pass. He is 999, exclaims Chino. He is 999. What does that mean? I ask. It means he is crazy, Chino is. He is from 999 Queen Street, a psychiatric hospital at the time, and he is alone. I sit quietly and fidget with my hands. I stare at the man's facial tics and listening intently to his bubble about spies and the devil coming and the end of the world. The following pages contain my voice and my own bubble through 16 breakdowns over a five and a half year period. I ask that you please read, learn and understand what it is truly like to live a crazy life. 1. St. Mike's Hospital. The sounds of loudverse clangs and humus force open my eyes. My mind steers like a dropetrack. I cannot move my body. My chest, my waist and my legs are strapped to a guanai. I am in an ambulance. 
Erase my head and peer forward. Sky and two lines rush past. I see the black hair of the driver beside a brown haired person in the passenger seat. A red haired man sits beside him. When was the last time you ate? He asks. My eyes dart to the word paramedic on his arm bedge. It feels as tuch pricks of nay and scratch my brain. What is the last thing you remember? He continues. I stare at his blue uniform. Do you know what day it is? He asks. I look up at the net of first aid kits suspended above me, then shut my eyes to block out the paramedic. The frantic movement of the ambulance comes to a stop. A pause, a yak, and then down, lower rush, rush, rush to precisely where. I keep my eyes shut and feel the gun I will over a smooth surface. Stillness. I am alone. Tears slip from Benny at my closed eyelids. I feel a prick in my arm and open my eyes to the a plastic and steel tower beside me. And fear is in me. A jungle of noise surrounds me. I lie on the guanai. I lie on the guanai. I lie on the guanai. My mind screeches shriller than a dog and moves a whole load faster than the fluid in the fear drip. I go over the questions asked in the ambulance. I don't remember the last time I ate. But it must have been Zagpanir from my favorite restaurant around the corner from where I live in Little India. I eat Zagpana, Made of Spinach and Cheese Kurz, every day. The last thing I remember is lying on my futon, surrounded by blood, wet and cold. I thought I was the Virgin Mary and that my stillborn baby Jesus had passed through me. It must have been menstrual blood. I must have passed out. I know it is October of 1995. I look up at the nurse's station close to where my gurnail is in the hallway. Even without my wiring glasses, I can see the calendar on the wall. It is October 23. Warm in the hospital. People in white and light blue uniforms rush back and forth around me. Warm in the hospital. I shout at them. They keep rushing. Warm in the hospital. I lower my voice this time. They keep rushing. Warm in the hospital. I shout again. They sprint past me. No one stops to answer my question. After the tenth time, I feel fratzled, exhausted, wordless. I stand up and trip the fear out of my arm. My legs can still propel me. Wearing a light blue hospital gown, I stride through our bright red exit. I look around outside. I am at St. Michael's Hospital on Queen Street. The Bay Retail Store is southwest. I know I live east. I walk in that direction. Evil eyes are on me. I feel rage. A horn honks a violent blare. I panic. I glass over and see my dad driving his orange ladder with my brother in the passenger seat. They yell. Come inside, Donna. Come inside. I keep walking, strutting, each angry, hat a full step takes me towards home. No. Sit of your PC the walk trips me up, crossing cars break my pass and my dad jumps out and pushes me into his ladder. I scream. I yell.
E-Fight. Am Back at St. Michael's. Inside for metallic grey walls, I lie on a bed and look at hell on the floor where shellacked white tiles join. I feel disoriented. I think about my favorite poster, the one I bought when I was at Carleton University, where I graduated from journalism on June 17, 1994. That poster, one of the few on the walls of my small apartment where my 450 dollar and this sundo is a picture of four black men, wearing 1940 Sekunden hearts standing around a pool table. One of them holds a cue. I look at the heavy grey steel door that faces me. Where is my cue to leave? I scream, I yell, I pray no response, I only my voice. Where is my knit in shining armor? Only the fluorescent squares on the ceiling shed any light. The doctors come. I know they are doctors because they wear white coats. Two of them enter the room. Do you know how long you've been in this state? One of them, Amen, asks. I am not in any state. I just need to get out of here. We can't release you until you calm down. Calm down. I am perfectly calm. My mind rages. My tucks race. My insides scorn. I must think quickly in order to get myself out of here. Do you realize that you've been screaming for an hour? The other one, a woman, asks. She stands beside the man doctor, but of them white ivory like ready to me. Don't you say realize I scream because they read it me against my will. I don't you want to be here. I have committed no crime. I have committed mistakes, yes, but no crime. I want to be home, in my little apartment. I want to drink wine and listen to the tapes. I am a full person. I met it every day. I joke six times a week. What am I doing here? I stay in the room for what feels like days, I don't know how long. The security guard outside the door keeps looking at me strangely. What is he looking at? He is the strange one. Doesn't he understand? This is a national emergency. I have to get out of this room because the women are coming to get me. Prinz Diana, Oprah Winfrey, Prinz Toro also fine, beautiful women are coming to get me to join their group. I am going to be part of the gifted 10, 10 powerful, strong women who will rule the world and save it from imminent disaster. They need to release me from this holding cell so I can rain back in Uganda. There I will be a prince, one of the gifted ten. Haven't any of them ever read V. E. B. Dubois? The African-American writer and philosopher who believed that, when it comes to humans, there is an extraordinary ten percent who will rule the world. My dad is really Ugandan dictator Idi Amin. He changed his name and identity and fled to Canada to escape his atrocities. I need to go back to Uganda to rule to be part of the world as ruling elite. It has been a cover up for many years. I grew up thinking my father was a newspaper delivering PhD who drank too much. All along he was really the Amin in hiding. 
in Canada, he held a reign of terror over our family instead of our country. But he never knew who he really was. Honestly, officer, he did tea. But now that he knows the truth, now that he have finally figured everything out, he can write the wrongs that he has done. If the hospital will only release me, he can return to Uganda and be its ruler. Everything is silent when easy a white lab coat, glasses, white skin and brown hair enter the room. My black eyes class with his green eyes. He opens his mouth. So do I when I am getting out of here? When you calm down. He looks down at his brown clipboard. I want to call my lawyer. You have a lawyer. Get me the fuck out of here. The doctor is so close to the door, the back of his lab coat kisses it. You had a psychotic break, he is. The thing you reach it so frank. I twist my wrists inside the brown leather straps that shackle me to the bed. I clench my right hand empty. Where is my spar to pierce his ivory skin? Then I see the back of his head, and the heavy metal door closes. Silence. Shit. Get me the fuck out of here. I need to go home. I need to go home. I need to go to my home. I need to go home. I hear only the sound of my voice. I cry. Eventually, I sleep. I awake when I bang. A black woman in a white lab coat, with slick black hair to her chin, walks in. She carries a tray. Are you hungry, dear? Yes, I murmur. She places the tray on our table beside the hospital bed. I sit up and look at the food. An apple, an orange, a box of orange juice, and under a round, translucent plate cover, something that looks like chicken with hot vegetables that were definitely os frutzen. The look and smile stiffly at each other. My stomach clenches audibly. G-R-R. I look into her brown eyes. Thank you. She touches my kinky black hair. The same hair I was so litent as vigilantly as I. Then the aloe plants on the hooge veranda outside my second floor apartment. You should really do something with your hair, she suggests. She touches her streicht hair. I touch my kinky hair. I like mine natural. I plan to keep it like this no matter what. I eat fast, in the nurse's presence, in my hospital cell. The nurse leaves. I stay. Constance. I know I am in trouble when they won't let me leave. It is my third day in the hospital. I stood as tall as the waist band of the light blue slugs my mother worn around the house when I was last in the hospital. I want to be home. When I was nine and ten years old, I would run and jump on a blue steel jungle gym with my brother and sister and my friends on Sunday mornings while my mother was inside the church with her friends. When I was even younger, I spent a year learning how to play the organ with a brown-haired male cherub who gently encouraged me when I made mistakes. Go, Donna. Go. I want you to be able to play the organ in the church choir, my mother coaxed me before each lesson. 
FTI Graduate from Carleton University, he work in Ottawa, move to Toronto, then move back to Ottawa and no one has time for me, not even my boyfriend who is finishing up his final year of journalism school. When the loneliness and silence choke me like a movie director's calf, a Frenchie with the phone number for Arta Road Card Counselor. I take a chance. I desperately need to speak to someone. I call the number. Hello? I say. Hello, a deep voice response. Is this Donna? Fear almost makes me scream. How did you know my name? I was expecting you to call. This is Constance. Yes. She is nothing more. I was hoping you could help me. I hesitate. I mean, I was hoping I could come speak with you. It costs three hundred dollars. I shrug. I have the money. Okay. Can I come tomorrow? Be here at 7 p.m. I live at 43 Bronson Avenue. The next morning at act, I am in downtown Ottawa with a colleague, shooting high-art video footage for an African-Canadian film to be presented at a video festival. I don't look at my watch until that night. It is almost seven. Should I go? I ask myself. I go to the washroom first and pay. As I wash my hands I look at my eyes in the mirror. The whites are bright red. Just as they were in the morning. I grab some brown paper towels, dry my hands and hail a taxi to take me to 43 Bronson Avenue. It is 7.05 Uhr p.m. when I arrive at Constance's house. I am late. I don't even really know why I am here. As I turn to leave, the door opens. Donna? An Indian man stands before me. In Ut. Constance is inside. Come. The walls are pitek beige. A brown layer sofa sits at the far end of the room. Spectacular photographs of Taka, Bangladesh line one wall. On a nose, I recognize photos of my show, buying, Buenos Aires and New York for my favorite travel show on TV. Constance is the added at a small, round IKEA table. She stares at a chair opposite her and I sit down. She moves her hand to the left and turns on a small Panasonic CD player. I recognize the sounds of Windchemes, soft techno piano and are in as new age music. I feel a pinch calmer. Would you like some wine? In Ode. White or red? Red. I almost shout. My core feels hollow. Constance wears a black and orange sari. Her long hair falls like a dark blanket from the top of her petite frame to her waist. I look down and see her bare feet in beige sandals. While Constance is in the kitchen pouring the wine and the man watches Wheel of Fortune from the sofa, I reach out and touch the multicolored paisley table cloth. Vibrating with light reflected from the candlesticks. The color what? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, brown and purple aldens and touch in a party on the tabletop. Constance reappears. She sits quickly and places a glass of red wine in front of her. She places an identical glass of wine in front of me. 
Chiresis a set of bronze chemis i had tino tz before endrings them. Here is a pot black. I do not dosis, all of the time, constance declares. I am actually a lawyer. I use dosis when people need help. I keep my eyes on the table cloth. I wish I was out dancing. She opens a wooden box and gutters a rider white deck of the road cards from inside. She hands them to me. I take them. Think of your questions while you shuffle. I shuffle the cards. On one card a woman the high priestess looks like Constance. She fascinates me. On another card a man, the king of pentacles, remains me of my dad. The nude woman on the nine of pentacles remains me of myself. So do the images on the nine of swords and the three of wands. Constance deals out cards. I see that you are not happy with your job. You do. Yes. You do not like it, but another job is coming soon. Someone you met over the summer is coming back into your life and Aman will let this woman to you. She deals out more cards. You are cheating on your boyfriend. My brown skin flushes red. No. I am not. You are, she insists. Easy Aman that you are spending a lot of time with. Yes, perhaps no sex, but you love him. I can't think of anything to say. His name is Jack. I work with him. He also works for the government. Do not tell your boyfriend, she orders. He will break up with you. I was going to tell him, I whisper. We have always been honest with each other. Honest is for children. You are not a child. My first thought is stupidity, but I continue to listen. Constance tells me to imagine a white light around me. She gives me the names of two books to read, Louise High as you can hear all your life, and Sanya Roman Spiritual Gross. I already have a book by Sanya Roman, Personal Powers Through Awareness. I have never read it. A black female therapist is so while I was in my second year of university recommended it. Learning towards me from the other side of the small table. Constance tips the cards back into the wooden box. You should met it harder, she is. Do you know how to met it harder? I stare at the wooden box, feeling sad that the pretty pictures are gone. What is that? It is when you keep completely still and you do not think about anything. She shifts her body. You keep your feet flat on the floor, you close your eyes and you... Imagine that white light surrounds you. You imagine that white light is emanating from you and flowing out all around you. This is how you recreate yourself as an empty vessel so the positive forces from the higher world can enter you. This way you can channel. Channel? Yes, channel. Everything I do is channeling, she explains. I rechive all of my guidance from my highest level of guides. Her voice back messlichter and hits my ears like a bubbles and pops. Your highest level guides will direct you in everything that you do. Is this like prayer? Constance looks grim. I do not believe in one God. 
I believe in the universe. I believe that everything happens through the almighty of the universe and we are all directed through our highest level of guides if we hold clear energy. You need to lighten your energy. Constance tells me that I too can learn to channel and become a psychic, so that I can answer my own questions. I buy many books after the first two. I begin to meditate every day and become a vegetarian like Constance. I want to be just like her. Constance is the happiest person I know. Back to Toronto. I follow all of Constance's instructions and one month later I accept a job offer in Toronto. I am back at the CBC as a university journalist for radio and TV. I work 9 to 5, then catch the 506 streetcar that takes me to the corner of Gera and Asdale in Little India. Home a studio apartment with a flat green carpet, a shower style without a tub, a kitchen with a hot plate and a size fridge, and off the kitchen, a balcony bigger than the entire apartment. I change from the long pastel color dress I wore to work into my beige sweatshirt and jogging tights. Six times a week I yoke. Before I leave, I strap all the money pose around my waist and stuff 20 dollars and my driver's license inside one of the pockets. I use the 20 dollars to buy a bottle of Woodbridge red wine while I am out. Every night, I start drinking as soon as I am back from my run. Every night, I finish the bottle, drinking from dollar store wine glasses. Only once do I wonder why I don't simply hook from the bottle. But drinking from a glass is what my sister calls proked up he. Every night, I drink and practice reading the rider white tarot cards. On work nights, I go to bed no later than 11 pm. I break up with my boyfriend Knoll. Orata, he breaks up with me when he reads my journal and finds out about Jack. I send Constance questions and money, and she tells me that a king of ones will enter my life. I imagine that I'm an I work with at the CBC, my soulmate, will help me make it to the top of the ladder of success. Over the next year, I spent a lot of money on long distance phone calls to Constance. I call to ask her questions about every aspect of my life. What should I be? Where should I live? I ask about co-workers. I present Constance with a name and she tells me about that person from the name alone. This information helps me decide who I will and who I will not spend time with. My university journalist contract with the CBC is to end in September. I sit in meetings with the feeling of having digested ranchet popcorn. Okay. Donna, what are your ideas for tomorrow morning as show? My boss asks. Cold and stranger stars are drawn like that's at the heart of my eyes. Well I fixate my attention on something to distract myself. The white moon stone ring on the fourth finger of my left hand needs to be tuned. There is a provo going on in. I am cut off. We've done that before. Days, weeks, months are missing. Equal Constance. Do you think they are going to continue my contract? 
Seville, Seville, Schibrea des Intuse von From Ottawa. You can stay at the CBC forever, if you so cause. Zranchit popcorn feeling in my stomach Jesus. Angels on the ceiling. If I kill the doctors, can I plead insanity? They keep asking me such silly questions. How long are you going to keep me locked up here? I scream at them. Until you calm down, they answer. They will not even tell me why I am being kept locked up. I'll even been told this that they think I am schizophrenic. What does that mean, anyway? I spoke to Constance last Friday. She told me to write a list of all my ones and then to cut the list into squares so that each of my ones is on a separate piece of paper. Then she said go into a meditation and burn all the pieces. This will make all your ones come true. It sounds like a wish strictume and I know that Constance is into witchcraft. I decided to give it a try. I need the supplies first, so I go on a shopping spree. I buy a gold pen, scissors and paper, a cup to burn the pieces of paper in and a foldable wooden table with square designs. I am left with only $100 in my bank account. My rent is to and no Pichek is coming. I go home with all this stuff and write all my ones on a piece of paper. I want a successful career as a television and radio university producer. I want a beautiful man to enter my life and for us to have a deep, passionate relationship. I want a big, spacio, beautiful apartment with low rent, as soon as possible, with loads of privacy. If you work fast, things will come fast, my high-level guides tell me. I cut my list of ones into small squares. I turn on the stereo that I received from my mother for graduating from high school and insert a cassette of Gregorian Kranz. At my new wooden table, I light white candles with matches from my favorite Indian restaurant, then pull out a stick of the promised land in the abort at the Eaton Center, light the tip and softly place it in the holder. I pick up two small brass bells wanted by us in black rope, class them together and ask for my high-level guides to assist me in my meditation. I burn the squares of paper and I meditate. I meditate for days. I do not eat. I drink only water. I hope to achieve a higher spiritual awareness. I want to open up all my chakras. I want my falling ersicht to be restored. I want a miracle to happen for the creator to prove his existence to me. In the silence of my apartment, I lie on the photon and gently sing a line from John Lennon's song Imagine. Imagine all of the people living life in peace. I look up at the low walls of my kitchen and see a hazy figure with long wisps of hair to the shoulders and shadowy white smoke skin. Glasses up around holes in the smoke that look like ice. He ins me and sings. You, you may say I am a dreamer. But I am not the only one. I hope someday you will join us. And the world will live as one.
Inos at in my state of super awareness I connect to all other human beings who live as constants. I think about people like her who are free and easy, fulfilling their dreams, who have money and independence, and still do good work that helps others. The smoke shifts to longer spirals of hair, as lichter body and long fingers. Janice. Joplin sings. Oh Lord won't he you by me a Mercedes-Benz. My friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. The smoke shifts again. A fuller body. Hair soft and roof flat like frilly yellow bunties. Half closed eyes and full lips lean to what me and say imperfection is beauty, madness is genius and it is better to be absolutely ridiculous than absolutely boring. Marilyn Monroe, I think, as I gag at the fading image. I think my eyes may roll to the back of my head. The smoke turns blood red. It files my vagina, ejaculates over the walls and trims down like rain. The inner walls of my vagina bleed. I feel a push from low in my stomach to the end of my root chakra. By Saturday at least I think it is Saturday dream that I am sending light to a mediation meeting on the Quebec referendum. The mediators come dancing in the streets to thank me for sending this light that will help keep Canada together. They want to take me out of bed and have me dance too. I believe my new network of friends and my soulmate from the CBC are among them. I go to my window and talk to the crowd. The masses of people are holding my soulmate down because it is too early to consume our marriage. I go outside to the balcony and sit on my meditation chair. The rush of voices from below files my head. Naked, I open my arms to them. I hold them in the air for three moments and then, in an instant, I place them on my lap and close my eyes. I meditate for peace and happiness. The birds chirp with me just as I do on the Nine of Pentacles. King of Pentacles. The doctors force me out of my small room to our bed on the psychiatric ward. My father comes to visit me, smelling high of cologne. He tells me that I must look only at the last two years to explore my breakdown. This is what I call it my breakdown. He tells me that he was had a nervous breakdown too, at 16, when he attended boarding school. He tells me that his late brother Jack also had a breakdown. My father is like the king of pentacles referred he is always manipulating me. When he last visited, he had my shamanic drumming tape on and was mind. Traveling. Energy, a spirit comes through me. I am Ferum, she is. You are an orphan, adopted by your parents. I am your real mother. I did on the day of your birth. My stomach feels full for a moment and I pick at my hair with fingers wrinkled at the oids, just like my mother my adopted mother my mind is confused. I had a dream when I was young that my mother had a twin, another woman who looked exactly like her and also my mother is beautiful, the dream frittened me awake. My mother also told me that we were in a car crash in Uganda when I was a baby. I was asleep in the car. My father was driving. She had two pickles out of my hair. 
I connect this with all the times my father took my brother, sister and me on the highway and drove the way they do on the docks of hazard. I think of the stories my cousin told me about my paternal grandmother. Grandma would go digging at four in the morning. I dig deeper, deeper, tunneling through my mind, and resolve that my grandmother was trying to kill her children. That is why she was digging. I connect this thought to explore why my father always fought with my mother. He was secretly afraid that women were trying to kill him. After a while I realize that my breath is the only thing that keeps me alive. I hear my father at the door. A miracle has happened. He has come to apologize for all the things he has done. I believe my father repeat my mother. There is a scar on. Here belly. It must be from him trying to butcher here. I think he slept with the Jamaica babysitter he had as a child. I think he slept with my aunt, when she lived with, as after arriving from Uganda. My father has always had a brutal of women and he might very well be the father of all of my aunt's children. Maybe that is why he disliked her so much, not because he held her responsible for the death of his brother Jack in Uganda. I am scared whenever I hear my father at the door. He wants me to go crazy. Release. The doctors keep their promise. I stay in the hospital until I calm down. It takes a week. My mother and my sister, three years younger than me, come and pick me up. They do not understand what has happened to me. I don't understand it here. We agree that on December 1st I will move to my mother's house in Markham where my sister and brother live too. For now, until the end of November, they take me back to my apartment. Zirchles of red bloodstein the flat green carpet and the Aztec design of my dove cover jagged black, red and cream lines on a copper background is broken by slices of blood. A stein as big as the sun from a distant view darkens the middle of my photon. And mass has of black so smooth the kitchen walls, the aftermath of my bonnet paper, my bond ones. I feel someone at the door before I hear the rumble of knuckles against wood. I pierce through the payfole and see a distorted image of my father. What do you want? I shout through the door. I have money to give you for your last month's rent. I open the door and before he can enter I pull the money from his cracked white brown hands and quickly push the door closed. I wait to hear him leave. My eyes are watery. I creep to the door of my large balcony and pick out to make sure that he leaves. Noticing that my alloy belongs are done, I pick up the white plastic watering can and fill it with cold water at the sink, then step outside to water them. Donna. I hear a voice call from below. You are back home. I look down over the side of the balcony at the five foot seven inch black haired man who, as of that chamber first, will no longer be my landlord. Donna, he repeats my name. It is a wonder you are alive. I watched everything. You could have did. In anger I throw down the money my father just gave me. I Emily having the chamber first, Mario. Before I move at the end of November, 
E-Breakdown again. This time the doctors diagnose bipolar affective disorder. They put me on lithium, a mood stabilizer, and risperidone, an antipsychotic drug. In early December, I settle into my mom's home. Every morning after I shower and brush my teeth, I reach into the mirror at vanity for two lithium tablets and one risperidone tablet, then release them, like Fred prisoners, into the toilet. New Year I am back to the darkness. The idiotic red carpet is still here in the basement of my mother's house, a large space I had all to myself as a teenager. Back then I could stand the darkness, but I slept a lot and was always very moody anyway. The walls of the bedroom are still by intact white. A small window about the size of a picture meets the ceiling line. The poster of a peacock hangs over the headboard of my old diplomatrice bed. The large Michael Jackson postcard with the king of pop standing in front of a gold background, which I got at McDonald's when I was 14, hangs to the right of my dresser. Model of white pitted wood, the dresser holds the few clothes that still fit me after I have lost so much weight. Other old clothes hang in the closet like the skeleton my frame has become. My mother encourages me to eat, but I keep my mouth shut. I met Itate every day in front of my mother's house. I sit on a small plastic garden chair with a Sony CD Walkman in my hands and headphones, which one of my former bosses at the CBC gave me, over my ears. Listening to Whitney Houston's exhale, I let out a soft shop and to the music. I feel a presence beside me and I am reverted back to a state of fear. What are you doing? Mom asks as she takes out the garbage. Middlesting, I spit out. So uns follies, Tume. On Christmas Eve day, I take public transit downtown to the Omega Bookstore in Yorkville where I purchase at my library of New Age books. I buy a smaller version of the Rider White Tarot deck that I used with Constance. I make my way back to my mother's house on the Walden 68 bus and get off at Stiles Avenue. I run, taking a shortcut home and almost slip on some ice, but I catch my balance on a wooden fence. No one is home. My sister and my mother are out, I don't know where. I close my basement bedroom door and take the tarot cards out of the bookstore bag. Still wearing my coat. I sit on the bed and open the box. For hours and hours and hours I cast out the cards like runes desperately turning out different destiny after different. Destiny. The hairs, all over my body unfall from Collet to streicht. I stare at the array of Celtic crosses I create. I rare Liebling. What are you doing? My mother is yells snaps me back to reality. I say nothing. I am embarrassed. I am cocked at something I know my mother and hear me to this bringing does not approve of. She still wears her gloves and coat as she gathers the cards and leaves my room. I follow her outside to the garage where she tosses the tarot cards into our big black garbage can. On Christmas Day, I refuse to come out of my room. I spent it crying. 
Unboxing Day, my aunt Lily comes to the house at my father's request. I pick out the window and see her in a puffy black coat that hangs past her knees. When she stands in the doorway, her ear collet her almost reaches the top of the frame. She wears gold earrings. Other than the bright red lipstick on her lips, her flawless dark brown skin is untouched by makeup. She looks at the pink pajamas Eva and this Donna, get dressed into something long. Get ready quickly. The service will start soon. Aunt Lily wants to take me to church. I love my aunt so I agree to go with her. But I hate my mom after she draws it out my tarot cards. Aunt Lily drives me to the church. The quietly and the and easy white, black, brown, yellow and red faces all around me all dressed in their perfect best for the Lord. I don't see any stained glass, but I do see a video camera set up beside a small musical band on the minister's stage. I feel restless as the minister speaks so I get up and roam around the inclining rows of pose. When the band plays, I dance at the back of the church. Aunt Lily yells at me to sit down. After the service, Aunt Lily takes me to a mid-size room at the back of the stage to see the minister. He is surrounded by members of his flock. Dressed in black with a white collar, the minister places his brown hands on my shoulders. Aunt Lily gets up close to him and whispers something in his ear that he can't hear. He nods his head and she backs away. His sharp black eyes starb into mine. You are ill, my child. In out. The minister rests his hands on the top of my head. The devil has taken a hold of you, he is. The devil has taken a hold of your mindestens. The devil has taken a hold of your heart. The devil has taken a hold of your soul. It is demons that enter inside of us that make us ill, especially of the mindestens he takes his hands off my head and opens his arms. Let these demons come out. An emotional rocket rips through my core. I tremble and cry. Let these demons come out, he shoots again, then raises his arms above my head. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost I command the devil to leave your body. I shut my mouth to keep from screaming. I push his intrusive arms away and run out of the room. Aunt Lily causes after me and shoots at me from the front of the church to come back. I look up the street and around the church. I have no idea where I am Americanish I do not know where to go. Moments later, an ambulance stops and picks me up. In her car. Aunt Lily follows behind the ambience to Scarborough Grace Hospital. I spent New Year's Day of 1996 inside another cell of four metallic grey walls. A black couple, visiting their son, beams their smiles at me. You have so much potential, dear, they tell me. This is a charm, an honest charm. CBC I return to my mother's house and slip back down to the darkness of the basement. My tucks is like the fun as I sleep so close to at night. Every morning I release my medication into the toilet. Every afternoon I release my medication into the toilet. Every evening I release my medication into the toilet. 
getting rid of my medication is the only thing I focus on. After three weeks of dosing my pills into the toilet, I am hospitalized for the third time on January 27, 1996. New doctors at Scarborough Grace Hospital change my mood stabilizer to Epival. They also give me clonazepam for anxiety. St. Mike's Hospital had white linoleum flooring in the halls and in the rooms. Scarborough Grace has grey carpet. My mom visits me and tells me that I got a call from the CBC National TV. Newsroom in Toronto for a job interview to be an editorial assistant. I have yet to be officially released from the hospital when I go to the interview to meet with Catherine Guerre, one of the newsroom bosses. Who is your favorite journalist on the national? She asks. I tell her Jason Moshevich because he is really the only one I know. Breaking down does not allow a lot of time for TV watching. Millisekunden. Goya seems pleased by my answer. Jason must be a friend of hers or maybe she is responsible for hearing him. She gives me a writing test. He write a story about a woman stuck in a cavash who escapes by using her cell phone. Millisekunden. Goya reads over my story and tells me that he write. Well. Then she picks up my resume. There is a gap in your employment history, she is. You haven't been working for three months. Why not? Rate then tell millisekunden. Goya so me laborate lie or tell her that I can't find work. Which would t be true I tell her the truth, or at least half of the truth. I've been suffering from depression. I actually came out of the hospital just to be at this interview. Silence. Many women suffer from depression, Donna. When would you be able to start if I offer you the position? Her assistant, Carolyn, calls me a few days later to tell me that, despite the competition, I have the job. My doctor is thrilled. He is a Canadian man who has diagnosed me with schizoaffective disorder, a cross between manic depression and schizophrenia. The doctor is jobs give people purpose. My friends Steven, William and Nancy are related to. When I return to my mother's home, my brother begrut gingly agrees to switch rooms with me. I take his room on the third floor and he takes mine in the basement so that I will have more light to help lift my depression. I am back at the CBC and I should be happy. I am greatly disappointed. In my previous job as a diversity journalist, I worked in both radio and television, even though I mainly set up editorial boards on diverse communities and produced only a few stories. Now I have been downgraded to editorial assistant. I work shifts, running scripts between the newsroom and studios, as well as operating the teleprompter. I take the new medication the doctor has prescribed and my arms, takes inch to my expand. But the running back and forth in the national newsroom helps keep them ticht. Life at home is stressful. I am 23 and have lost my independence. 
ich find living at home, after I have been on my own since undergraduate school, since I was eighteen, very difficult. My family is shattered by my health. My brother and sister stay away from me. Slow down. I refuse to take the medication the new doctor prescribed. Constance told me it would make me weak. I cannot sleep. The irregular shifts are hard to deal with. I can't make myself go to work today. So I call in sick. Carolyn? Yes, is this Donna? Yes. I start to cry. Carolyn, I feel full. I can't come into work. Silence. Donna, that is fine. I soap into the phone. I am sorry. Donna, it is fine, she assures me. It is fine. Just come in when you are feeling better. The last thing Carolyn has are my sobs. After I hang up, I crawl back into bed and fall into a fitful sleep. I wake up later in the evening and ask my mother for the keys to her car. I drive in a manic darts to Stephen and William's house. They let me crash there. Stephen cooks food for me but I refuse to eat. William smokes a spot with his girl friend Sarah, while I talk fast and for you about being a Ugandan prince. I ask myself and the others why the fuck I am in Canada when I am a queen in Uganda. William and Sarah wish me good night and climb the stairs to William's loft bedroom. I lie on the couch and whip tears from my cheeks. My friend Nancy, who is Sting Steven, comes by to console me. She started setting me up with Steven, before she darted him, but there was no spark between us and nothing came of it. Donna, why are you crying? I don't speak. I just keep crying. Nancy cradles me. Just cry, sweetheart, she is softly. Whatever it is, it will be okay. On the second night of my stay, Stephen sleeps on the couch so that he can have his bed. I try to seduce him. I am confused. He treats me so well that I think we should be together. I am so needy for comfort and affection. I move my brown hand slowly over the almost translucent white skin of his arm. Stephen stirs a vacuum and opens one eye. Donna? He looks at me directly. What are you doing? I snap my hand away. My hand goes to my nose. I pick out some's note and whip it on the Levi jeans I am sleeping in. Stephen. It will go on a date. The stiffness around his mouth softens. Yes, Donna, her response. Remember, I am thing Nancy now. I know, I know. I just thought. The next day, without anything being said, Nancy and William take me to Scarborough Grace Hospital. The doctor on staff tries to give me a whole bunch of drugs that I refuse. I creep off the gurney they ordered me to lay on and stalk out of the hospital. Nancy and William run down Birchmount Avenue and catch me. I tell them I want to go to our black bookstore on Bathurst Street in downtown Toronto. Stephen picks us up in his old blue Mercedes-Benz. We drop William off at work at Fontario on the drive to the bookstore. 
Nancy sitzt nicht liebe Siedeme in Sebaxeat, Astoch to Restaurante. In the store, is it by the children's book section on a child's chair, alphibe fit 10 inches and 130 pounds of me and cree? Nancy and Steven let me outside and send Steven the rives me to my father's house. Nancy does not come. I don't know where she went. On the way to my father is, I notice a house up for Saale. Steven, look. I point to the sin. That house is for Saale. He looks and notes. I touch his arm this time in friends hip. Steven, I am going to buy that house. I am going to buy it, I tell him. I am going to get my brother out of my dad's house and he and my sister and I can all live together in that house. Finally, the fighting in my family will end. I practically reset Robert and Karen anyway. My father wants me to go back to the hospital. When I refuse, he tries to keep me inside. I refuse that to enter atten to jump off his balcony. He almost hits me. When I finally manage to get out, Stephen convinces me to let him drive me to the hospital. I rage as I get out of the car outside of emergency. I run and drive as I walk in the opposite direction of the hospital. The police stop me near the Wellesley subway station and an ambulance takes me back. I run as I bring me through the doors. I rag at the orderlies who try to put me in restaurants more bondage and slavery. I stand on top of a counter to escape their determined efforts. We need to slow down this life. I shout. We are going too fast. Things need to go slower. Life is too fast. All this technology is done group. We need to slow down. I run when they move me to an isolation room. I scream that this makes it difficult for my good mother, Margaret, to visit me. I run at them for my illness. I rage at them because I am sick. Ranging diagnosis. My fifth breakdown puts me back in Scarborough Grace Hospital at the end of February 1996. The mix of lithium, risperidone and clonazepam that they force me to swallow every morning is an acidic punishment my doctor is in it to take for life. The first time I was told that I am schizophrenic, then they said that I have schizoaffective disorder, now the diagnosis has shown to manic depression. Resting in my hospital bed, I look up and am surprised to see my boss, Carolyn, besidime. Here orthopedic shows were silent on the carpeted floors. Hi, Donna. Hi, Carolyn, I say. Thank you for coming. She looks at me closely. How are you doing? I feel fine, but they won't let me out. She steps closer and touches her silver wire glasses. I see nothing wrong with you, I tear. You should come back to work soon. It is probably all the shift work that upset you. I will put you on a regular shift in the evenings, starting at 6 p.m., I promise. You can work until 2 am. Caroline tells me that she will give me the title of evening researcher. This fits my ego and, despite the doctor's order, 
easing myself out of the hospital after only three days. In response, the doctor informs me that he will never treat me again. I go back to work at the CBC, but sleeping and working up remains a struggle. I follow up with a female doctor, a psychiatrist, who asks me to call her Sarah. I see her as a week at St. Michael's. I feel like a hospital refugee, now that I have St. Michael's and Scarborough Grace Hospitals on my health resume. Sarah cuts my meds back to only lithium. Then, she goes on sabbatical without telling me. I go off the lithium two weeks later. Free. I manage to stay well for six months without medication and without seeing a psychiatrist. In the newsroom, I make friends with Rosie and Jane, who I know from my undergraduate journalism days at Carleton University, and Mary, who I train as an editorial assistant. In the spring, Rosie decides she wants to spend the summer in Ottawa. She so bleds her spasio one bedroom condo to me for 300 dollars a month. It is furnished, I only need to bring my clothes. In the annex, just steps away from the St. George subway station, and decorated in dark green, like nature, the condo is perfect for me. My Regenet Independence and my Sunday brunches with Diane and Casey, another new friend, make life very stable. Despite all this, I do not enjoy my job at the CBC. It is mundane and dull. I need a challenge. I make plans to go to Uganda, a country I always dreamed of returning to. I was just a baby the last time I was there and have no memories of the place. My dad discourages the visit. He warns me I will get killed. This does not deter me because he tells me this while drunk. The only way I'm going to be allowed to visit Uganda is to lie, so I tell my father that I am going with Emily, a white friend from work. Emily really does want to go to Africa, but can't because she doesn't have the money. Convinced that I am going with Emily, my father gives me the money to go and sets me up with my uncle Edward, head of the biochemistry department at Makara University in Kampala, the capital of Uganda, to be a lecturer in the mass communications department. I am all set to live at the end of September 1996, in time for the school year to start at Makara. I will take radio and television. I give my notice to the CBC just as a permanent editorial assistant position opens up, a position many people thought would be offered to me. Instead Mary, who it not, gives the job. But that is okay. I plan to get other work in Uganda and hope to freelance. I contact media outlets in Toronto and Bahai 8 camera so I can do video work. My friends from the CBZ are going away party for me, and my entire family comes to the airport to say goodbye. I fly British Airways, business class, after I complained about not getting a window yard. I bought the plan in a good state of mental health without medication and without the care of a psychiatrist just by being free. 2. In Uganda. When I arrived in Uganda I thought I had returned to my homeland. 
I wore my Levi jeans on the first day here and headed out the door of my own house to look around. Where are you going? Aunts said he said. They will rip those jeans off you in the market. I know I was not at home. When I went to the Canadian Embassy and registered as a Canadian citizen on a working vacation in Uganda my mother told me I should do so right away the consulate worker, a man with a Scottish accent, said I really look like a Ugandan woman because of my hair and jeans. He told me I look like a Canadian and that his own children look more Ugandan than me. We bought like it. I am free here, but I miss my family. Today is my sister Karen's birthday and I can't get to a computer to this her glitty things and I am extremely frustrated with my pen. I have the hit all over this place for a good one. My cousin Justine invited me to her mansion in downtown Kampala. She showed me her wedding photos. There are 12 people in one of the photos. Act of these people have deed of AIDS, Justine said. An invisible chastity belt has been strapped below my waist ever since. Through the weekend the radio station just broadcasts names, that is also. Announces do call out names. Who are these people? I thought they may have been the names of missing people. My dad told me it was like that in Uganda when the dictator Idi Amin was in power. I asked Aunt ZZD. Those are the names of people who have died from AIDS. When they call out the names, they love to know a funeral is coming and they should go. The music here is good. As I write this I listen to the lyrics I was, I was a little bit duller from the song I was. That is pretty true of most of the people I see in this city they are not very tall. Yesterday, students protested over the 50,000 Ugandan shillings about 50 dollars in Canadian currency that first year students who are called from SARS have to pay in school fees. Bullets flew and the gas canisters were shot. A few students were arrested. I was not there to see it, but I hope to do some research and write an article on the conflict as soon as possible. E.S. Chan, a Ugandan journalist, to research some details for the story and hopefully I will have that be published soon. Anyway, I really need a pen. I miss having a good pen. Taaching. Work at Marker University is wired. I got a radio and television with a Nigerian woman Ahmed Khasir. There are only three students in the communication stream of the program, all female, who probably want to be media stars and are content to make no money. The rest of the 40 students, Almale, had the good sense to go into the public relations stream of the program. They will make money. On the first day of class, Hasse opened a textbook and read directly from the page. My hands knotted dead in two fists and hung stiffly beside my body. I stared at her. What was she doing? When it was my turn to talk I spoke from the heart, the way I had been talked by my journalism professors at Carleton University. Textbooks were not used at Carleton, at least not for the practical courses. Chassier just looked at me.
Ihr probt mal High 8 Videokamera and Marans Audio Recorder to Class. I taugt this Recommunications students how to use the equipment to tell stories. In a way it is a blessing they are only the three and that they are women. This saves me the other of the sexual tension when talking young men. After about four days of consistent indoor light, the electricity went out again last night. I promise myself to not smile it is best not to, especially when it comes to the future health of my skin. I worry about wrinkles. Dreams. I am making friends but also meeting some other people who I don't trust. The house girl Clara. With her low-cut afro, she was my looks that dart up and down my body as she sweeps the floors. When my cousin Dora, Uncle Eddie and Aunt Cedis' eldest daughter, comes into the room, Clara stops her sweeping, pushes the debris in my direction, and xagles away with Dora in Lumioro, a language I don't understand, and then bot of them pause to dart looks up and down my body. What? I ask them. Shops. They would kiss their day together and keep ugling away and darting those looks at me. I stare at them, then away, flicking my eyes to and from them like as has falling from a cigarette. I feel the same burning inside as with a cigarette something is brewing. I am not sure why some people gossip so much when they could be doing much better things. I need to send a message to McGill University in Montreal to learn if I can combine English with communications for my master's degree. If I can, I would be very happy and would work on having my master's completed as soon as possible. I am excited because I really think these subjects would make for very interesting research. Later, I could also earn my PhD at McGill, although I would prefer to attend. Cornell, Princeton or even Yale? I must hang in there with my dreams. I really think there is much I can accomplish. I want to attend McGill University for communications and English, to receive a scholarship, to have my short stories published, to leave Uganda with a draft of my first novel and with video footage for my documentary, to have some stories published while I am here. To live knowing the regions of Bonjoro and Buganda, and to have my hair grow almost twice as long as it is now. I want to see a few more African countries than just Uganda. I contacted a journalist from CNN who works in Africa to see if he could work in Egypt. But Uncle Eddie won't let me. He just does not understand that his refusal is ruining my journalism career. He claims it is dangerous for women to be on their own in Egypt. I stupid speaking to Uncle Eddie because of this. How does Uncle Eddie not realize that I could be the next Christian Hermann poor for the African continent if he got this job? Uncle Eddie just wants me to stay in Uganda and to make money at Makere so that I can pay him more rent. I think I should just go to McChill and kick butt. I really feel my energy moving towards that. I need to remember the kind of student I was a long time ago the things I liked and enjoyed. These things are important to me.
Terracotta des Enfrisch. Chicken. I had a dream last night that there exists such a thing as female, and I don't mean me all bacon, altuch am tired of all the matoke, stamit green banana, boys and peanut sauce here. We eat those things every bloody day. Today was the first day I sat at a table and ate with only my hands. Aun's jetzt die, Uncle Eddie and I travel to Oima Uganda, the old place of my dad. The farm house here up in Lukat as doch there were a number of fears in it over the years. The drive up to Oima was bumpy and dusty. Red Terracotta dust coat at the land. This country is red earth and green grass and blue sky. It rarely rains. When it does, people don't go to work and I do not approve of this. People in Canada work no matter the weather conditions. However, to give Ugandans credit, the rain does come down pretty hard. It is as if God takes the big bucket of water that he used to water and dumps it over the country. It comes down hard and fast and ends just as fast. I am not as good at eating with my hands as the rest of my Ugandan family. But it really was kind of cool. The best thing was we finally ate something other than matoke, brise and peanut sauce. We had chicken, fresh chicken even. My cousin Jack slaugt a red the chicken. He scared me when he showed me the bloody course before it was cooked. Interesting that I didn't even think about that poor chicken as I enjoyed my meal. Tives One of my students kind of scared up my Marans audio system. The big red record button won't this tape press it down. What use is a recording device if it won't hear record? Fortunately, I found a place to have it fixed too I still cannot find a decent pen. As I walked through the marketplace, with my camera back in one hand and the lights over my shoulder, some ruffians in the square treat to rob me. They ignored my expensive video camera and instead treat to grab my black and white bitternet swatch. Stupid. Which costs more money? If you're going to be asive, at least be smart. Oh, well. I still have my swatch and my camera. I used to have a really good microphone that I could have used for this video camera, but when it got slightly old it threw it away. I figured I would just get another one. That was after I graduated from Carleton. I regret that decision. I woke up this morning feeling really angry with chats my hair in. As a hair salon business, they disgust me to no end. I cannot get over how horrible they are for black women. The salon takes thousands of dollars from their predominantly black clients by selling them garbage. Chatsma doesn't recognize that natural black women's hair can be beautiful too. They perpetuate the myth that the grass is greener on white people's heads, when in fact God made us all different for a reason. I would go into the salon and earn the least $300 on a single visit to chase after a single Crawford look. In Uganda, beautiful, elaborate brides cost $7 Canadian. Five brides will spend three hours on you here, and for their services it costs only seven freaking dollars. 
my goodness, no wonder so many women here have such gorgeous hair. It amazes me when I think of how much money I have wasted. I won't ever look like Cindy Crawford. I think the white people as beauty standard that sheds my eyes for lens to a form of mental slavery. I do recognize it was my own folly, with sheds my assistance, that put me so much in the financial hole. I could have bought a house in downtown Toronto if I had not been a regular client of that salon for so many years. Constance also took me for a big time fool. Yes, I was a fool in every way. Even according to the tarot cards, I was the fool. I listened to President Clinton's speech last night and I think I am interested in politics. I want to understand more. Even the whole thing about hair, both white and black people's hair, is political. Television In Uganda, people like Uncle Eddie, who takes chemistry at Markerere, live for CNN. I don't ever get to watch Oprah. I am stuck watching news all of the time. The benefit is that at least I know what is happening in the world, however, I see only glimpses of what is going on inside Uganda. There is corruption. I know that. I saw something on TV while Uncle Eddie was at work. So middle school children in uniform were singing a protest song about corruption and the Ugandan army. The army is a vital part of Uganda's infrastructure. So however in the army are considered more important than the doctors who save lives. My cousin Justine's husband is the head of the army in Uganda. Justine claims he is president to our Museveni's right hand man. I don't get to see my programs at night when I should. I don't get to see Oprah. Uncle Eddie doesn't even watch the babies like my dad does. He dominates the TV with CNN International. But, I must say, I am completely smitten with the new laptop desk look that CNN has. It is pretty cool. I want to be an assistant producer at the Zoom Club, a TV-Station in South Africa. I am not a hard news person, but perhaps there is something I can do. I would like to do continuity on our film and help out with advertising. I think that would work really well. I miss watching opera. Katalemba estate. Remembrance Day is tomorrow in Canada. Today I felt so big and lazy that I forced myself to go for a long walk. Three blocks from the house, Afis, Karain fullest me to marry him. He was tall with a high waist and grasshopper legs. When he smiled at me, I saw there was a tooth missing from the left side of his mouth. He kept smiling and looking, and I actually smiled back. He must be crazy. Yet. Who knows how life would be if I had said yes? I sure would be very old he was, all that fis. When I first arrived here, Uncle Eddie picked me up from the airport in Arostek Mazda that I felt embarrassed to drive in. I gave him two thousand dollars to stay at the Katalemba Estate with him and owned the city for nine months. Katalemba Estate is a huge plot of land with seven houses, all owned by Marker University, 
Universum of the Professors AHZ of Campus. Marker University also has on campus housing. My own Cielie and her husband Pet, who works at Marker as well, live in Asri's Tory house there. The houses on Catalim were started each look different. Uncle Eddie and Auntie Cedis house is a bungalow with four bedrooms. They have their own bedroom. My cousin Jack has his own room. My other cousins, Darlene and Dora, share a room. My aunt and uncle were kind enough to give me my own room. The room is okay but I have to sleep under a mosquito net to avoid contracting malaria. At night, I am afraid to get out of the bed even when I need to use so to the because cockroaches as big as my hand, with shiny, hard bags, litter the floor. There man get orange do cubes outside all night. They treat that animal so badly. The water that comes from the outside well needs to be boiled. The house girl Clara, das is. She also teaches Melonioro and Loganda. I take notice and keep them in a separate journal that I think of as my language book. The living room has old furniture and flat brownish grey carpet. I like living here. It is pleasant. But, I really hope I do not contract malaria. Apparently, it takes two months after you have been bitten to get really sick. When my brother Robert, my sister Karen and I went to Expo 86 in Vancouver, British Columbia, we stood with friends of my father. With the help of the pavilions at Expo 86, I traveled to Malaysia, India, Australia, Iceland. Finland, Norway, Switzerland, China, Korea and Singapore my expo passport was inked with stamps. My dad's friends had a house in Surrey. There were more bedrooms than people living in the house and it was so airy that you felt as though you were outside even when you were still inside completely defeating the benefit of being indoors. Totally useless. I am lucky to be in the Literature and Communications Department at Marker University. I learn a lot. I go through classes and sometimes think I should enroll in public relations or science journalism at Boston University, but I have to hang in here. I think many good things are ahead for me. I can't wait until mommy sends my things. Strange Lovers I sit in the living room and see chickens outside in the yard. Just beyond them is an area where I see only goats. When I take a closer look, I realize it is an old tennis court with grass growing through cracks in the pavement. The fence around it looks like a spider's web and just about as strong. One side of the fence is covered with Venus.